Secret location in room 100 of 540 Jack Gibbs Boulevard. This is Craft. I'm your host, Doug Dangler. I am here today with Columbus comedian Leslie Battle. Hey, Doug. How's hey, it going? Good. Welcome to Craft. Thank you. Happy to be here. And uh, today we're going to talk about your comedy career and the state of comedy in Columbus and all those kinds of things. So tell me your origin story, like a superhero. How did you get into this (laughs) comedy? Well, um, (laughs) I actually uh, do have some, uh, a a bit of an origin story. I actually grew up in East Texas and uh, right out of high school, I joined the army. And so I ended up traveling around a little bit with the military. I was in the military a total of 26 years. I did 13 years in active duty. And then I came to the Ohio National Guard in 2001. And I retired from the Guard in 2015. So I did a little, almost 27 years total between the two components. Thank you and, for your service. Oh, you're very welcome. It's uh, I had friends who could actually shoot, so they made it kind of easy for me. <laughs> who could actually shoot? You yes. could So did they shoot for you? I mean, what's well, the story? Well, I mean, you know, there's this thing about, you know, establishing a perimeter. So it's good to have people who are good with the targets. Oh, I see. I see. <laughs> if, if you're one of the ones that's being counted on to establish the perimeter and you, you know, are only firing about a 15 out of 30, that's not that's not a good mm, okay. <laughs> but um i got divorced in 2010 it was really disheartening because you know up until that point and even after i believed that i was doing what was best for my kids being a career woman getting out and working and getting my education and all this kind of stuff and then going through this process for everybody to be like oh you don't like your kids because you worked all the time but see we wanted to have this house and i wanted to make sure they were fed and he wanted to be stay-at-home dad and why you know why do i get punished for for that and 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 it's absolutely i mean basically i get treated like a man which you know is going to sound sexist but um it's it's not an uncommon story what's uncommon is it happening to a woman a lot of people are just like oh my god that that what ha- that never happens to a woman well no it does happen to women at any rate so after going through that whole ordeal with court i needed something that i could call my own and um i was a theater kid in high school i was a thespian i lettered in prose and poetry interpretation <laughs> i have never heard anyone lettering <laughs> in prose and poetry <laughs> I, 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 I almost wish I'd have brought my jacket with me because I still have my jacket. <laughs> that's, that's a, I will that's, find my picture on Facebook, but I absolutely still no, have my letter jacket from No offense, but that sounds like a way to get beaten up in high school. If you put on like... <laughs> not if you're a girl, but it's a good way to not have a date for prom. Okay. Because <laughs> okay. like if you've got a letter jacket, people assume that it's your boyfriends and then they say that it's prose and poetry and they're just like, either way, that's not. Right, no, right, no. Right. Mm-hmm. But um, I wanted to get into community theater. I actually did some community theater while I was on active duty. And I just couldn't commit to a rehearsal schedule because I had my kids week on, week off. And that was absolutely, you know, my my focus at that time. Mm -hmm. And so I was just like, well, what can I do to get back on stage and still have like autonomy over my calendar? And stand up comedy was the answer. I was going through, you know, a particularly tough time. I really hit, you know, like a pretty low point emotionally because, you know, I felt like I didn't matter to just about anybody. And so I'd already decided to do this open mic at the Funny Bone here because I was splitting my time between uh, the Dayton area and here because I was working here. But then every other week I had my kids. So I would live there with my kids when I had them. And then I had a place here and I would stay here, you know, to commit to to cut down on the hour and a half one way commute (laughs) from where I was with my kids. Like I said, I hit this like really, really low point, but I had already planned to do this open mic. And so the morning that I woke up, 
before I came here to do this open mic, and not a lot of people know this story, I was actually in the psych ward at the Dayton VA because I had had suicidal ideations earlier mm. that week. And and it was the 4th of July weekend, and so I was there like long, but I was like begging them that morning. I was like, you don't understand. I have to go to Columbus tonight, and I have to do this thing because if I don't do this thing, I'll never try it again, and I just don't know where I would be. Mm -hmm. Well, that was five and a half years ago. You know, I got released. I came to Columbus that night, did my first open mic. Some of my friends were there, got some, you know, good reviews. I sucked because all <laughs> comics, when they first try it, are horrible. But it, it's more mechanical at first. Just get up on stage and get past the what it feels like to get on stage, then start working on trying to be funny because... If it's for you, then the ability to be funny is gonna be part of the natural progression. Mm -hmm. If it's not for you, then being on stage and experiencing that, you're gonna be like, boop, okay, I'm good, I'm done. You know, and, and that's you know what I've seen from a number of people. And I mean, there are some people who do it and it's for themselves because they definitely are not getting, uh, shall we say, expected reactions from crowds mm -hmm. on a mm -hmm. regular basis, but, um, it definitely has been a thing that has fed my ego and I, um, my, my, my kids love that I'm a comic. They think it's hilarious. Well, my oldest, he's kind of like on the fence about it, but, um, what puts him on the fence. Well, he, uh, got some coaching while I was going through my divorce. So he, uh, was coached into taking sides and it wasn't mom. And so mm. some of my material talks about my ex. It's nothing like personal. I don't like discuss like genitalia or anything like that, which is, I mean, you know, a lot of people would expect that to be the go-to if I'm this bitter divorced woman. Right. But um, he, I, I think that the idea, and, and that was one of the things that I had to learn like really early on is no matter what he did to me, which he was very expert at, he still had a good relationship with the kids. So I had to like, you know, kind of, distance myself from my anger around the kids because they still loved him. It wasn't my place to take that away from him. Not that he did the same to me. He absolutely told them that I was everything but the child of God and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, doing the whole high road thing, now that they're older, I absolutely am. You know, they are seeing that, oh, okay, well, maybe mom wasn't so crazy mm -hmm. after all. It's just, you know, I, I ended up having to have some talks with my kids because, you know, my situation hasn't necessarily gotten better. I've just gotten better at accepting it. But, you know, we're also at the end of the light at the end of the tunnel like i said my youngest will be 17 in july mm -hmm. which nobody wants to rush their children's maturing but when you're involved with the court system you're just kind of like man once this is behind me i can really like kind of grow into who i really want to be without having this weight on me you know right. and the kids aren't putting the weight on you it's the system that's putting the weight on you and it's the system that allows you know bitter exes to do the things that they do but that's a whole nother story. So yeah, that's that's kind of my origin story is I, I, I went through a really nasty divorce and um, I decided that, you know, I wasn't going to be this pity party, bitter, angry person, which ironically enough, I'm still this pity party, angry person, but it's in a room full of strangers who are drunk, who feel better about themselves because they're not me. Good. So, <laughs> Good. so tell me about the processing of um, that, because, you know, you're, you're taking the, the, the bitter, the angry, and you're you're saying, you know, I'm the bitter, angry person there, but it's comedy for other people. That's, I guess, part of the, the definition of comedy is pain plus time. Yeah. Right? So, you know, t tell me a little bit about how that works for you on stage. Um, and you're welcome to give examples uh, or however you... Well, would... I think that one thing that a lot of people consciously and, and unconsciously realize about comedy is that a comic's journey although it's individual that comic 
is generally far more common than we let on. So, so many of us go on the stage thinking, I'm the only person who's gone through this and this is gonna make me so unique. But then you find audiences like relating to you because <clears throat> I do material about being a cougar, I do material about being divorced, I do material about being a veteran, so on and so forth. And there was, especially when I was first starting out, I was like, man, you know, I'm there's nobody like me, nobody's gonna get this. And absolutely, there were other parents whose kids were, you know, late teens into early 20s. Like, you know, like you said, us kids from the 80s, we're like, we're like the middle agers now. And it's just like, no, we want to go back to the big hair and the neon. and the... Yes, or any hair <laughs> right. at all. And no taxes. Nice. I mean, right, you know. Yeah. And, and, um, for a number of people with, you know, kids, my kids age, people, my age, people, maybe a little bit older, maybe a little bit younger, you know, pretty much, you know, around forties, what a lot of people hear in mainstream comedy right now is young single guy who's, you know, got girlfriend issues and gets high a lot. What they aren't hearing a lot is, you know, middle-aged divorcee who's dealing with the fact that her kids have driver's licenses now. Mm -hmm. And I was finding that more and more people, I, I so many shows I've had at least one person come up to me like, Oh my God, that was so my story. It is so good to know that I'm not alone. And I think that that's part of the thing in, in as much as people love to laugh, there's just this kind of feeling like I'm not alone. This is, this is great because, you know, even if I don't like personally interact with this person, they relate to where we both have been and it's comforting for a, a number of people. I mean, you're not gonna find people who don't wanna laugh in a comedy audience. Mm -hmm. And so half of the time, people who wanna laugh, they're wanting to laugh because there's something that they're ticked off about or frustrated with or whatever that they're getting away from. It's not, it's, it's almost like a type of escapism in a way. Mm -hmm. And so escaping into someone else's story, but then finding out that it's similar to your own, it's kind of like, oh, then I'm not, you know, such a weirdo. I'm not, you know, um, I used to do some stuff and I don't know why I stopped doing it, but, um, and, and I mean, you and I both know that divorces seem to be more common. It's, it's, you know, not like in even the seventies when, you know, you might have one or two friends who had parents who were divorced. Now it's just like everybody either has been divorced or knows somebody who's divorced. And I was just like, you know what, kids, don't be bringing your good looking friends around your divorced parents. That's just not, you know, wait until everybody's 30. Don't, don't put your dad or your mom through that. And I did that stuff at the Funny Bone one night. And it just happened that there was a girl who was in my guard unit. We were in the same brigade. So that's like a much larger unit. We didn't actually like work together, but we were in the same brigade. So we had that in common air quotes. And, um, I did that stuff and her dad was with her, right? And so she's in her like mid to late twenties. So her dad's like in his fifties and she just kind of looked at him like, dad, is that true? And he's like, oh yeah. <laughs> he's like, oh man, I'm so glad somebody else said it because ooh, I thought that was something. And it doesn't mean that you're like an inherent pedophile, but I mean, the reality of it is my son's friends went from these, you know, cute little tater tots that were like 10 or 11 some of these kids hit 15, they had beards and sounded like Barry White and they're calling my house and I'm just like, who is this? You know, I don't know what's happening right now. Mm -hmm. And it's even like more profound now that he's in his 20s, you know, my, my, my son's friends, they are the young adults now. And it's just kind of like, 
weird. <laughs> How does your son respond to that uh, that material? Does he, he hates it? He absolutely he hates, it? hates it. Okay. He thinks that I have actually hooked up with some of his friends, and that has absolutely not happened. <laughs> The thing the, is, my son does not have hot friends. Okay. <laughs> and... <laughs> we'll we'll try to uh, put some sympathy out to his friends right now. Well, Sorry, and some of my hot. comic friends were just kind of like, well, that if he doesn't have hot friends and he's the hot friend, I'm like, no. <laughs> but I mean, no, I, I, I. Everybody who knows me knows this about me. If a person is of age and can have an intelligent conversation with me then I'm not going to be like, you. you're only 27. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's not. But for my son, who is 24, if I brought home a 27-year-old, he would be like, mm, not sure how I feel about this, right, you know? Right. Yeah. So I just don't bring him home. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice segue. Um, so when you're doing stand-up like that, obviously, um, you, like you said, your son hated it. And there's there's material that you may do uh anyway well he but, hates it in a playful way playful you know way. that kind of yeah right, like okay. like um one of the things that i get a lot is i don't look my age and so sometimes when my son and i are out people actually think that we're like boyfriend and girlfriend and he just despises that he's just like oh that is so disgusting this is my mother i, I can't and imagine why like, that would yeah, really why are you not flattered that somebody thinks a classy lady like me would be with you okay yeah. <laughs> i mean honestly you've been friend zone since day one okay so don't <laughs> don't think that this is like affecting how i'm thinking about our relationship right. but i mean it's things like that that's just kind of like it's it's more of a kind of a nuisance thing and I think that what is kind of grading for him, again, kind of in a playful way, is just that it is plausible. I mean, I am finding out that he had friends who had a crush on me back in the day or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so it's just kind of like, and here she is flaunting it when that was a thing that I was completely uncomfortable with. And I'm not any more comfortable with it now, even though my friends are in their 20s, just like me. Okay. So let's um, go from the material to uh, some of the influences on you. Mm, Who are okay. the people that you look at and say, you know, um, I'm doing this kind of material maybe because of the influence of somebody else that I, I saw. And it, you know, maybe sometimes it's uh, a well-known performer or sometimes it's like your Uncle Mike who was funny at family reunions or something. This is going to sound super vain. <laughs> but um, I actually don't watch a lot of comedy. Um, I am very impressionable and I am very afraid of this whole co-opting of someone else's material thing. So I, I tend not to watch a lot of stand up now. Um, that being said, I'm in love with Wayne Brady. I just, he is my mm -hmm. spirit animal. He is the bestest <laughs> ever. He, he, and, and the reason that I love Wayne Brady, one, is he is Afro-American, but he's not Deaf Comedy Jam. I'm not Deaf Comedy Jam. I may drop a few, you know, blue words here and there, but it's not my entire shtick. And it's not, you know, this this kind of thing. And I mean, there's a place for everything anywhere. That's just not my style. If I try to mm -hmm. do it, it's not genuine. And he's also just an amazing improviser, yeah. which, you know, I I just, he's so quick on his feet and he's so talented and his voice is so amazing. Mm -hmm. And I sing a little bit in my sets. I would like to do more music. Um, I basically just kind of poke fun at music lyrics in, in a few of my bits right now. But um, I, I really think that the whole idea of being multifaceted brings like a depth to um your 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 act that that people you know 
only certain audiences are looking for it, but when you find that audience, they appreciate it so much because it's not shallow. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is a lot of shallow comedy out there. There's a lot of sophomore, you know, slapstick. Everybody's talking about farts and their genitalia or whatever. And then and, and for some, it's like, okay, yeah, that's funny. But some people like to think about the jokes that right. they, and so I'm kind of trying to bring this, like getting people to think about things. I actually have a lot of material or a relative lot of material where I kind of point out the absurdity of slavery in, uh, in, you know, some of my things like doing these flashback kind of things. And I, I love doing that stuff for rural crowds. Rural crowds love me. I don't know why it's amazing, but, um, I, I do, you know, shows fairly often for rural crowds and I don't know if it's just kind of a, like, Oh, she's not so bad or, or, you know, we're, we're not so bad or, or whatever it Mm -hmm. is. But yeah, I've got, you know, jokes, um, like one, I, uh, say that, um, <laughs> my now ex-boyfriend met me the old fashioned way because he saw me at an auction, made the highest bid. And, <laughs> but that's the thing is people give that kind of like, I really shouldn't laugh at that, but that's funny. But now I'm feeling some kind of way about laughing at that. Mm-hmm. Great. I want you to feel, because if it's going to get you to think about it, and I mean, the reality of it is I'm talking about history in a tangential kind of way. So whatever your take is on that history, if you can see that, look, we've got to find a way to move forward with this, but ooh, that is pretty messed up, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, if you can see how messed up that is in parody, then hopefully you can see how messed up that was in real life. Right. And let's just not return to it. I mean, I get it. History is history. Let's just not return to it. So do you engage with people after, like you said, rural crowds or, or, and, or, or something along those lines? Um, do you engage with them afterwards? And do they tell you anything about their reaction to it? Because you've got, you said you had people who said, I really identify with that. But th- with that joke, oh, you're yeah. playing oh, yeah. the other side. You're, you're creating this sort of the disidentification of the, what they don't want to identify Nine with. Nine times out of 10, if a person's going to approach you as a performer after your show, they either really, really loved it or they really, really, you struck a nerve that they weren't comfortable with you striking. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm lucky because I haven't had anybody try to punch me out yet. I know other comics who have. Mm. And that's going to get me back to a, another uh, inspiration of mine in just a second. But um, I I think a, a lot of times, because I've only been doing that joke now for about two, three months, because it was inspired by an actual boyfriend at the time. Mm. That's not what happened. But, you know, you, you get to do some poetic license with things. Oh, then you had amazing. to point out that's not what happened, in <laughs> fact. Well, wasn't. actually, what I do after that punchline is I go, you know, they do have charity auctions for, like, charities now, right, mm-hmm. guys? Right? <laughs> and then, of course, everybody in the room is like, oh, didn't think about that. Good. Yeah. <laughs> because you just made my point. Right. But, um a, a, a few people that have reacted to that joke were just like, man, that was so wow. I mean, it's it's like kind of speechless, but still feeling like they need to express like approval, like, you know, but keep doing it because that's a gem. So, so when they're having difficulty articulating it, is is that what you're looking for then where they you they can't come up with a reason they just say well, that's so wow but they don't have a, a reason behind it right they can't that's say still why articulating i mean that's still you know expressing you know basically mm, i never thought about that okay. and it's taking me to a n- new place but i i liked it i it, it's one of those love to hate kind of things it's like ooh, that seems so rough but in reality i still laughed at it, it was hilarious right. so 
um but my 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 other inspiration is a guy that that very few people have heard of and it just frustrates me to no end his name is Stuart Huff he is a genius Mm -hmm. and I fangirl him so hard I've worked with him a few times and I hope I don't creep him out but I tell him every time I'm like I hope it don't creep you out but he's just a genius he takes um history he takes historical figures he takes um sociology I mean he takes some really cranial highbrow stuff and makes it hilarious, but at the same time, it's like you're questioning society mm-hmm. because of the way that he couches things. And and he's not for every audience, and it's unfortunate because it would it would probably be very beneficial if more audiences could access his humor. You know, I um I know that I talked to Stuart Huff uh, when he was in town for Arch City Comedy, and I oh, can't oh, yes. remember whether he was the person that was telling a story about he had made some comments at a, a club, and there was like a crowd outside and they said you can't go outside until the police get here because they're right. so angry yes. with what yes. you said yes okay. yes <laughs> no and and that's absolutely Stuart. and 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 that's the thing is you know just like there are different comics there are different audiences and there are some that absolutely do not want to be challenged with you know current events or how we got here mm-hmm. and he just absolutely just gets in there and roots around and it's like he's stomping grapes <laughs> I mean, it's just an amazing thing to witness as a person who appreciates the the way he performs his art. And like, like he's got this one bit that I just love to freaking pieces. And he's just like, because he has a son who I, I'm, I'm sure the baby is like going on two now. But I, I heard him like a year ago and he's like, my son's only like 10 months old. And I gave him a plastic hinge and he went nuts with his plastic hinge. He was just and he's like, I want my brain to be like that. I want to just enjoy the hell out of the simplest things because at what point do we know things? And then he goes into, you know, how people know things and how is this affected, you know, the way that other people have been treated because of what people know. And then it turns out that those people were like way ahead of their time. And mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm telling you, if you, if you have an opportunity to listen to his material, please do, because it, it just is, it's, it's, I, I, like I said, I fangirl him so hard. It's horrible. I, I, I almost like wonder if I'm actually a comic or just like a glorified groupie because there's a couple of comics and I'm just like, hi. So I'm curious about that. What kind of community do you get to have with the other comics? I mean, you get to go backstage with them and you're part of a, you know, a group that uh, has got those really defined boundaries where you're, if you're not on stage, it's like a lot of uh, professions. If you're not doing the profession, you're the lay person and you're ex- sort of excluded. Is that something you found for the comics? It's, you it's get kind of entry. a funny mix of family reunion and high school because <laughs> you've got, you know, the different levels of proficiency. So I might be a sophomore at this point. And I mean, I still would consider myself kind of like a still getting a handle on where my locker is sophomore. And then, you know, like people like Stewart, I would consider to definitely be seniors, if not undergrads in college, because there's, you know, the whole concept of finding your voice. And, and, and theoretically, once you find your voice, then you become that much stronger as a performer because your confidence is there. And it's not just about... um reciting the material it's about interpreting things even as they happen because theoretically no two sets should be exactly alike I mean I get a lot of people record things and so on and so forth but at the end of the day it should be more of a conversation with the audience as opposed to you just doing material now granted you're absolutely guiding the conversation and it's up to you as the comic to have control of the room but 
it's supposed to be kind of an interaction without mm -hmm. their input going too far overboard. How often, like if you've recorded shows, do you look back at I them? I have not. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, well, I have not recorded question. them for release. Let okay. me rephrase that. Um, it's very important as a comic to record your material and listen to uh, what you do because if nothing else, it points out your verbal tics. It points, there, there's uh, kind of this filter that you hear laughter through. Mm -hmm. And if you have a joke that you just love to pieces, in your mind, you hear like raucous laughter. On the recording, you hear crickets. And you're like, what? What just happened? Right. And so it helps you to be a lot more realistic about the way that the crowd is responding. I mean, it's kind of a really interesting um, relationship between trying to maintain your identity and trying to do what appeals to crowds. And for some things, it's just a matter of the way you word things. Like I have this one joke again about my recent ex-boyfriend that, um, so you're sort of the Taylor Swift. Let me just establish this. Of oh, absolutely, somebody, because absolutely. Yeah, don't I, date Leslie Battle, or oh you no, will no, be no, do on date me, do date me, but because you will, you will be make on a me record. rich. Right. Yes. Okay. Well, right. and that's the thing. The goal is to not end up on <laughs> the set because the people who aren't in the set are either so grossly boring that it's not worth it to mention, or I feel because um, even like the last guy that I was with, um, I I felt this kind of. Um, and I mean, the same thing, like there's things I'm not going to talk about my kids, right. you know, about that there's, you know, kind of like lines that we as comics draw. There's a lot of comics who are just like, screw lines, we're just going to talk about anything, whatever. But um, I'm I'm still a little bit reserved. I'm mm -hmm. still kind of coming into what I'm comfortable with sharing versus what I'm just like, okay, that stage me, this is real life me. Okay. But um, like there's this, this other joke, uh, and I'll try to get through it kind of quickly. Uh, basically, we were out traveling, and there was this load of lumber on this semi, and the pieces were cut like a foot square, like eight feet long. They were like columns. I'd, I'd mm -hmm. never seen them cut this way. And he actually wolf whistled at it. He was just like, wow, that's really, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so my- Just like, wow, that's cut really well? I, I, right. Well, again, um, oh, I guess I should preface this with he was a farmer from Indiana. So um, <laughs> definitely different worlds <laughs> to, to, you know, to say farm, the least. I, I, I can't, I mean, I grew up in uh, in a rural area and I can't imagine- why that would be why you'd woof or woof whistle at it like whew, I, I some nice looking uh, wood. but that's my punchline is right. i just watched my boyfriend legit check out some other dude's wood and there was nothing gay about it <laughs> and it's it, it's 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 just like incidents like that I, I i tell you know some of my friends like i'm not even funny it's just stuff happens in my life and the way that i look at it and the way that i convey it on stage you know mm -hmm. makes people laugh and um, the thing about that, though, is I have to be very careful about that because I don't use the word would until the punchline. Mm -hmm. And I tried it different ways. And the punch wasn't as strong when I said would before the punchline. Okay. So, you know, a lot of times it just has to do with the actual semantics of how you structure the joke. And um, I, I, it's, it's a really fun thing for me to explore because when I went to college, I studied interpersonal communications. And so I'm very much a, a student of, you know, language and, and I grammar and believe me, I come from a family of teachers. And, and when I was growing up, I was often made fun of for sounding white and talking proper. Mm -hmm. And um, 
I, I, that's actually, you know, kind of one of the things that I want to explore, like, uh, the story I was going to tell you earlier. Uh, so I work at the casino. I'm a blackjack dealer when I'm not out telling jokes and, um, we have to wear, uh, our licenses with our names on them. Right. So my name's Leslie, you know, seems innocent enough. Right. And one day this gentleman walks up to my table and he goes, that ain't your name. True story. That ain't your name. Excuse me. I'm sorry. He goes, I never met no black woman named Leslie. That ain't your name. <laughs> oh, really? Um, okay. Mm. And what am I supposed to do with that? In this guy's world, there's no such thing as a black woman named Leslie. Mm-hmm. How, In what, my world, what did you do? I've been Leslie the whole time. Right. I just said, well, sir, I'm sorry that you don't agree that this is my name, but my mom's been calling me this my entire life. And I think that she, you know, kind of is the authority. She so, probably has a good idea. Now, my punchline on that, though, because, of course, I turned this into a story for on stage is, sir, I'm pretty sure you've never met a black woman. So, <laughs> it, you know, right. again, they start the, the vast majority of my stories start off in truth. And then I take them somewhere off in left field and everybody has a chuckle. We move on to the next thing. Leslie Battle, I thank you very much for being here No, today. thanks for having and, me. And uh, we look forward to hearing more about your shows and your evolving comedy. Thank you. For more information from my guests, visit www.crafttheshow.com. This is Doug Dangler. Until next time, be creative. Be creative.